You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17, Proverbs 18:24, Proverbs 27:6, and Proverbs 27:9. So we'll start at Proverbs 17:17. 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18:24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27:6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27.9 Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tiana. Well, hello. If you haven't met me before, my name's Coy, uh, and I'm the associate pastor. It's so good to see you all on this wonderful Sunday afternoon. Uh, Recently, I read a story about uh, two young women who met in college uh, while studying medicine and they instantly hit it off. They bonded over things that they had in common, which were a lot of things. And so they became best friends, eventually sharing an apartment together during their studies. When one day, while one of the girls was FaceTiming her mum, she thought to bring out uh, her phone to to show her roommate's uh, parents who were there staying with them at the time. And it just so happens that both these girls' mums were best friends 16 years ago. These daughters had never met before this, and the mums did not know that they were each other's friends. Yet 16 years ago, here were these two mums who were best friends with one another. There were tears galore, jubilation between their mums, because 16 years ago, their lives separated because one of the families had to move to Canada, putting a massive distance between them. And you know, there was no internet, no phone. They, they couldn't reach it, They found it very difficult to contact one another, to keep in touch. They even tried through Facebook over the many, many years, but they just couldn't. And then in the end, it was their daughters, without knowing, becoming best friends 16 years later, meant that after 16 years, they too could rekindle their friendship. And they remain, these two mums remain best friends to this day. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful story of friendship? See, there's something deeply heartwarming about friendships, isn't there? Whether it be, you know, your, your main squad or your, your sisterhood of the traveling pants, you know, friendships are what make us laugh, smile or cry throughout the day. In fact, there are stacks of studies done that reveal that friendships make us happier and healthier. And we're currently in uh, the series, a series on Proverbs, a book centered on wisdom. And it's in this book of Proverbs that I see five important things revealed to us about the theme of friendship, telling us One, what makes a friendship special? Two, what makes it powerful? Three, what makes it vital? Four, what makes it hard? And five, what makes it possible? So firstly, we're going to see what makes a friendship special. Now, there are a lot of relationships. You know, there's there's partner relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband and wife. There's family relationships, you know, brother, sister, cousin, auntie, uncle, work relationships, you know, bosses, colleagues. And then there's friendships. See, in the ancient Near East, when Proverbs was, was written, the, the family relationship was one of the strongest of the relationship types. The culture of the time was quite dependent on family structures and dynamics, seeing them as, as the main source of stability. 
And yet, when we read of the proverb here, such as 17, chapter 17, verse 17, which says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. This tells us just how significant friendship relationships were. Because what this verse is saying is that when it comes to a brother, when it came to family, family is there during times of difficulty. And normally they have to be. You know, family is related by blood. They are in, they are there in difficult, uh, difficult times because they, they either care, have loyalty, have history. They know they need to be or they have no choice but to be. But by no means does that mean that your family members like you. Perhaps you've seen movies, you know, or even experienced it yourselves, the times where a season of hardship brings together the family. I think of the original Home Alone movies, you know, the family cares for and rallies around finding Kevin who was uh, left home alone. But if we know, if we, we watch the movie right from the beginning, we know that none of the family members actually like Kevin, which is why he was left home alone in the first place, you know, twice. They don't like him. By blood, there's an expectation that family is there in times of trial. But there's a big difference with friendship. As Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, we're often told the proverb of the world that blood, <coughs> excuse me, blood is thicker than water, implying that your family should be the closest people to you. But for the Bible to say that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother goes against this notion because the biggest difference between the family relationship and that of a friend is that friendship is chosen. Like a family member might be there in the hard times because they must, but a friend is there because they have chosen to be your friend. You have chosen to be their friend. You want to hang out with them. You want to go out and eat with them. You want to be there with them during the good. You want to be there with them during the bad. A friend sticks closer than a brother. And it's this word sticks that often translates to the word cleave which is to hold fast onto, you know, to be attached to, to be joined to. It's, it's a passionate commitment to love. And so what this proverb tells us is that there's something unique about friendship that other relationships can't bring, that friendship is special, which is quite interesting because in our culture, friendship is often seen as the least important of the relationship types. You know, we think of romantic sexual love as probably the most important in regard to our Western society. You know, you have TV shows like Married at First Sight or Love Island. You don't get mates at first sight and Buddy Island. Who's going to watch that? I would. Then there are some cultures which are, you know, more conservative who focus on family relationships. And then there are others that are focused more on work relationships and those around you. Friendship is often the least significant of the relationships in today's age. And I think the reason for that is because friendship is the only one of the relationships that is done deliberately. As in, it's not biological or not based on structure or and, and function of human society around you, but it's something that people choose intentionally, consciously. It's deliberate. As author C.S. Lewis says in his essay on friendship, he says, friendship is the least instinctive and organic biological, the least necessary of all our loves. 
It has the least commerce with our physical system. There's nothing throaty about it, nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. And it's true, isn't it? Like in the busy, ever distant, ever individualistic society we live in nowadays, it's romantic relationships that, that we seek most in our loneliness. It's family relationships that keep us busiest. It's workplace relationships that keep us the most connected. So the relationship that's easiest to neglect and push aside is friendship. But Proverbs is reminding us that we can't see friendship as insignificant. Remember, this was written during a time where f- that was heavily family orientated, a family orientated culture. And yet it lifts up the importance of good friendships, that friendship is special. But another thing that makes them special is how they are born. See, Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. This sweet, this sweetness that is described of a friend is often a word related to honey. And something really cool that uh, commentators have agreed upon uh, back is back in those days, sweet foods had to be discovered, right? Like you couldn't just conjure up sweet food yourself. There were no satchels of sugar uh, that you could just sprinkle over your food. Actually, sugar wasn't even known yet in those days. Nobody had it. So food was only known to be sweet once it was discovered, once it was tasted. So what's the significance of that when it comes to friendship? Whereas Pastor Tim Keller says, friendship requires a foundation, an affinity, a common love, a common vision that can't be created, that can only be discovered. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because that many of our close relationships that we may have were were close friendships that we may have were founded not by simply pointing at another person and going, okay, you're my friend, right? But rather a discovery of something that you both relate to finding out that you have the same interests, the same values, the same loves, the same hates. Friendship often begins from two people having the same passions. It's as C.S. Lewis puts it, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? Like you're thinking, oh man, I thought, I was the only one who thought that. Like my best mate, who was my best man at my wedding. We've been childhood friends for so long. He came into my life when we were both about five years old. His mum became good friends with my mum, so they kept coming over to our place. So I was kind of forced to be his friend. So I kept, but I kept seeing him. But it wasn't until that I, we discovered that we had a mutual interest together that our friendship took it to the next tier. Like we became best mates. Our mutual interest of soft toys. Like we love plushies, you know? So me and him would make like weddings with them together and marry them and then do like tea parties together. You know, all the masculine stuff. You know, we were 21 years old. You know, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. We were not. We were five years old, okay? So I just want to let you know, we don't bond over soft toys anymore. I want to stress that, but we bond over so much more. But do you see what makes friendships special? Friendships are made because there is something that is shared. The friendship is about something, which is why you'll notice that people who go out in life with the sole aim of just gaining friends often struggle to make any because in the end, those friendships are about nothing. Like the sweetness of honey in in ancient times, friendship is often something found out and shared that you almost can't believe that this person shares this thing with you. And this is what connects us. 
Like I'm in a group chat with close mates and the, the group chat's called My Maccas, named after the McDonald's app on our phone. And we first connected through online gaming during COVID times, right, as husbands and dads. Now all we do is send each other photos of us eating KFC and, and Maccas. It's, it's a very deeply meaningful group, obviously. But of course I joke, those things are, are just minor things that do connect us. But something that we do share most in that group that isn't minor at all is our love for the Lord. The bond from sharing a common interest in what shapes our entire lives. Jesus. Just so it is the same with many of you sitting here today as Christians where our faith is everything in our life. There's weight in the friendships that we have and what we share. Which is my second point, that Proverbs tells us what makes friendships powerful. See, while we perhaps share in close friendships with people because maybe uh, we share the same upbringing or maybe we share the same interests or maybe we share the same understanding of the world, our faith should be the bedrock of what we share with our closest, most intimate friendships because Proverbs tells us that it's the friends around you who influence you and shape you into who you become. In Proverbs 13, verse 20, it says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. See, your friends' words of insight, their knowledge, their instruction, their discretions, their opinions, they are the ones who influence you most in how you go in life. When we were younger, it it was our family and our parents because that's who we were around the most. That was our community. But as you get older, the most influential community around you becomes the ones that you enjoy being with, being around and share common truths with. These are the people who form us. Our friendships have a powerful effect on our lives. So we must be wise. I'm reminded of the Old Testament story of King Rehoboam, who in 1 Kings 12, he he rejected the wise counsel of his experienced advisors. And instead, he chose the folly from his young friends to treat people harshly, causing 10 tribes to, to rebel against him, to rebel against him and his leadership. Perhaps you've experienced something like this before yourself, where you've been influenced by your friend's folly trusting in the wisdom of the world, you know, affecting you in damaging ways. Maybe you decided to have a go at your boss because your friend told you, you know, he deserved it, in turn affecting your job. Maybe you spoke ill will of your spouse because your friend was egging you on, in turn affecting your marriage. Maybe you voted one way because your friend pressured you into thinking what society calls the norm, in turn affecting your values. See, as we've already seen from this sermon series, wisdom is so valuable. Wisdom is so powerful. Wisdom is so beneficial. It is so life-giving. But it must be a wisdom of the word, not a wisdom of the world. Because wisdom of the world is just folly. But the wisdom of the word begins with what Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom and folly are both so persuasive and it's your closest friendships that will influence you the most. They will either pull you in, pull you into fearing the Lord more or pull you into loving more of the world.
This is why a shared faith is so vital to our most intimate friendships. If our closest friendships aren't connected by a deep love and reverence of the Lord, whatever we give out or whatever we take in will not align when it comes to the important stuff, even affecting the less important stuff. See, if your closest friends don't see faith in anything as anything as important, how could you entrust them with advice in some of the deeper topics in life? If your closest friends don't have a biblical worldview of love, how could they give you wisdom on your marriage? If your closest friends don't see the significance of the good news of Jesus, how could they assure you in the toughest times of the great hope in the future? Your closest friends are powerful. See, Lindsay Wilson, a lecturer from Ridley, says this, friendship is one of God's good gifts and is too important a gift to treat lightly. Proverbs urges us to be wise in the friends we choose, for they will influence us greatly for good or for bad. See, there's a spiritual connection that ought to bind us in our most intimate friendships. But while Proverbs lifts up the spiritual connection, it also tells us of the importance of emotional connection. Because as human beings, emotions are a huge part of who we are. You know, it affects our day-to-day lives in how we live, in how we plan, in how we respond. And so naturally, our emotional connection to others is often one of the, the main draw cards of strong friendships. And Proverbs agrees. See, in Proverbs 26, verse 18 and 20, it talks about a fool who, like a madman, throws firebrands, arrows and death and deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking which is like the first ever version of like, it's just a prank, bro, after somebody's gone way too far over the line. Or Proverbs 25 verse 20, which says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like the one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda, talking about someone who is careless and emotionally disconnected from their friend, singing upbeat songs while some while their friend is hurting, like somebody, like saying to somebody who's obviously hurting, grieving, everything happens for a reason. See, Proverbs is telling us that to be a wise friend, emotional connection is important. If I'm happy when my friend is sad, then that is not my friend. If I'm sad, when I, if my friend is sad when I'm happy, that is not my friend. And what's amazingly powerful about friendship is that this emotional connection is completely voluntary. It is gifted by the friend. That's how you know you have a friend. Say for a parent, there is a great emotional connection with their children that comes uh, automatically. You know, a parent feels sad when their child is sad, happy when their child is happy. There's an emotional vulnerability that is connected, but it's one that is mostly instinctive, you know, almost like a reflex to a parent and their child. But a friend gifts this willingly. A friend knows how you feel. They are heavy-hearted when you are heavy-hearted. They sing with joy when you're singing with joy. I think of one of the greatest examples of friendship in the Bible, Jonathan and David, where it says of Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18 that he loved David as his own soul. 
even choosing, Jonathan even choosing his friendship with David over his relationship with his own father, Saul. See, Jonathan was joyful when David rejoiced. Jonathan was, Jonathan hurt when David despaired. See, Proverbs tells us that there's something significant about the spiritual and emotional bonds of a friend. That being around wise friends is important as well as friends who are emotionally sensitive. These are the marks of good friendships. These are the marks of true friendships. And I think a simpler way of thinking about this is that a true friend won't let you go to ruin. See, where in Proverbs 18 verse 24 it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, when it uses the word companions here, it's using in the sense of acquaintances, associates, that that having heaps of buddies is not as valuable as having true, deep friendships. That intimate friendships are stronger than having heaps of mates and can be even stronger than the relationship you have with siblings. Because what a good friend does is not let their friend go to ruin. Friendships aren't about quantity but about quality. They're not about breadth, but about depth. So a friend who is a true friend has a spiritual and emotional bond with you as to not let you fall into destruction. The friend who, the friends who are still there with you when your life is falling apart, friends who have willingly offered themselves to, to you to do whatever it takes to keep you from hitting rock bottom. They'll be there even when it comes at a cost to them, involving and exerting themselves in your lives to stop you from collapsing. And I think this is a key aspect to my next point, what makes friendships vital. Because if we go back to the Proverbs 17 verse 17 verse, it says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now, a friend loving at all times doesn't mean that we have to spend all our time with all our friends. I know that sounds like a dream to some, but Proverbs knows better, saying in 25 verse 17, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. In other words, I know you think you're pretty great, but too much of you and your friends will disown you, right? So what this verse means here is that a friend loves at all times as in loves in the good times, loves in the dull times, loves in the bad times. That is how friendships last. People who are there with you by your side at all times, they are available, they are constant in your lives. Now, this doesn't mean that friends are only friends if they drop everything at any given moment to be there for you. See, a lot of times that's actually, it's actually not wise to do that. But a friend would still love you even if they can't physically be present. It's like the quote from a well-known author, Helen Keller, where it says, True friends are never apart, maybe in distance, but never in heart. Sounds a bit cheesy, but there's something kind of true about it. Because when a friend loves in all seasons, it stems from a shared heart. A genuine love that wants to see a friend flourish and avoid destruction. See, I've used this story in a sermon before, but I'm reminded here of one of my closest friends who was once my pastor. And during one of my lowest points in my life where I hurt a lot of people around me deeply, I remember reaching out to him and he immediately met up with me 
and simply and simply said, just just hang in there and I'll come and I'll come see you. And he instantly was there to be there to talk to me, to listen to me, eventually guiding me back to seeing Jesus in my life. And then in the end, he played a massive part in me turning my life around and going into ministry as I stand here today. Now, it's a moment in my life that when I reflect upon, I thank the Lord for a faithful friend, faithful to me in loving and caring for me at my lowest point and being there, but more so faithful to the Lord because he not only showed me patience and understanding, but in the right time, he pointed me to the wisdom of the word that were hard to hear. He was a great example of Proverbs 27 verse 9, which says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Earnest counsel. In other words, genuine advice. It's a thoughtful, wise, godly counsel that keeps with Scripture. It's one that is shared from a real place of real love and genuine concern. In a friendship, earnest counsel is something quite valuable and rare. So it's, it's being compared to perfume and incense in the proverb, some of the most precious and delightful treasures in those days. And it really is rare because it almost seems countercultural today to give proper earnest counsel to your friends because today we're more focused on people agreeing on everything, flattering one another, affirming one another, not truly having a friend's best interest in, their, in your heart but friendships that are more of an echo chamber, you know, a non-stop agreeing with one another as to be encouraging and supportive. But earnest counsel is not that at all because if all we do is affirm each other in our friendships, we can easily help our friends into folly and ruin rather than keep them from that. And this is so vital to friendships as Author Derek Kidner writes, writes, we both need to say yes and no. Yes to a proper request, but no when it would lead to folly. See, it's easy for us to choose deceptive flattery over earnest counsel. But there's good reason for us to sometimes fear sharing genuine wisdom or advice. Because on some occasions, on many occasions, what should be shared to help our friend could likely hurt them. Let's be real. Nobody likes to be corrected. In our hearts is a lot of pride because the Bible tells us that sin resides in here. So we have to, you know, so when we have to correct a friend or we have to be corrected ourselves, it can be painful. It can really hurt. It can feel like a wound. But look at what Proverbs 27 verse 6 says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, it's actually beneficial for us to receive words that hurt from a friend than it is to receive false encouragements from an enemy. It is good when a friend tells you the things that you need to hear, which may hurt at the time, but is actually for your benefit. But what do I mean by the word benefit? Well, we're in the series in Proverbs, and it all comes down to this, the wisdom of the word, things that benefit us in our growing in faith and growing in fear of the Lord. 
a faithful desire to see our friends grow in love and fear of the Lord, which is another strong reason as to why having close friends who are Christian is so important. Because when we love the Lord with our whole hearts, we have a desire to see our close friends love the Lord too. Am I right? Which gives us reason to want to share the hard words with them because that's what's ultimately at stake, their faith. So as believers with close Christian friends, Proverbs reminds us here that our relationships to God are what matter most. So sometimes we may have to share something that will hurt our friend but it may just well benefit them in their growing in Christ-likeness. And this is easier said than done, isn't it? It can make us squirm a bit. Not everyone loves confrontation or tension. But notice the verse right before uh, the verse on wounds of a friend, where it says in Proverbs 27 verse 5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. It's quite interesting how this poem is structured because these proverbs parallel one another. So what it does, it reveals to us that covering up the truth out of love is the same as the fallacies that come from an enemy, which sounds super harsh, but there's some great wisdom here. Because how many times have we thought to ourselves, nah, I, I care too much for my friend to tell them the truth, or I just love my mate so much that telling this, telling him this would hurt, would hurt him, would hurt her. And I, I don't want that. But really what's hidden underneath that as you're saying these things is you saying to yourself, actually, I care too much about myself to have to go through with that. See, we have to realize that hidden truths are as dangerous as the kisses of an enemy. Because if your friendship is only ever based on affirmation or things of things or being positive, then you and your friend would never get an accurate view of yourselves. You will either never grow from your weaknesses or you will always overestimate your strengths. And what this does is do exactly what the Proverbs has warns us not to do, which is to lead our friend to ruin. Because you and your friends will then constantly make decisions based on what you've told each other or what you've withheld from each other, likely leading to disaster because, you know, you're out of touch. They're out of touch with reality, assisted by you, by their friends. See, I'm reminded of my wife, Lena, my lovely wife, who many years ago had this friendship. And one time the friend said something that, that went too far for her. It didn't sit right with Lena. Uh, it didn't sit well with her. So she told me that she wanted to confront her friend about this. Meanwhile, I was telling her, lean, lean, don't do it. You know, just, just let it slide. Slide, it's fine. Because I wasn't a big fan of confrontation in those days. But in the end, she did tell her friend, which wonderfully led to a thankful friend, seeing how Lena had cared and wanted them, wanted her to grow in wisdom. Springboarding this friendship into a close friendship today where they too could share to Lena the hard word at times if need be, trusting that they would be met with a humble heart and open ears. See, it became a friendship which Proverbs 27 describes well, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. That's a friendship where both parties are transparent with one another. Both are able to encourage and are able to share concerns with one another. Both loving each other and loving the Lord most 
as to want to see each other grow in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying now as you go and leave here today that you go around and like just like, like a machine gun, just go to your friends and spit all these rebukes and spit all these like negative things about them at all. Not at all like you're sharing a diss track and you're a hip hop rapper. Nothing like that. That's not what I'm saying. See, as we heard in last week's sermon, there's great wisdom and power in how we use our words and when and how to use them takes great care and wise thinking. But what I'm saying is what we need to remember is that what makes a friendship so vital is earnest counsel. And that could mean affirming your friends in one moment, but it could also mean sharing to them the hard word and others. Both done in hopes of seeing your friends grow in greater fear of the Lord. So, so far, we've seen in the Proverbs what makes a friendship special, what makes it powerful, and what makes it vital. But while it has sounded all quite straightforward, we also know the reality, what the reality is, that this can be all quite challenging. Which leads to my next point, that Proverbs also reminds us of what makes friendships so hard. See, there's a song you might know that has sadly been mainly reduced to a meme nowadays. It goes like this, the lyrics, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you, never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye, never going to tell a lie and hurt you. This is, of course, Rick Astley's Never Going to Give You Up, the greatest song known to man. And while this song is written about love, the chorus actually describes so well what a good friendship would look like to most people. It almost paints an ideal friend, a friend who doesn't fail you, a friend who doesn't hurt you, a friend who doesn't leave you, a friend who doesn't break your trust. But while a lovely picture, we all know that it's quite an unrealistic one. Because not one of us can sit here and say that we have a friend who fits that exact description. Friendships, while amazing, we also know can be messy a lot of the time, can be frustrating, can even be painful. And we know it's messy because when it comes to dealing with people, it means we're dealing with sinners. You know, Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so every person, your friend and yourself, we are prone to fall short in so many ways. And we think of the wisdom that Proverbs has already given us, that a good friend shows earnest counsel. And we also heard the importance of emotional connections. And yet we recognize that in so many of our friendships, there are moments where there is a disconnect between the two. We read about how there are good friends uh, who are there at all times, even in the heart of times. And yet we recognize that our friends haven't been there in some of our most challenging seasons in our lives. We heard of how wise friends are meant to steer you from ruin, that wise friends don't withhold the truth from you if it's beneficial to you. And yet we recognize the moments where we've been hurt by a lack or overuse of words from our friends. We heard the proverb describe the sweetness of discovering friendship. 
that it's like finding out somebody likes the same thing as you that you thought you'd never find somebody like that. And yet we recognize that even finding friends can be hard for us, that perhaps we actually don't have any really close friends. We read of the closeness friends can have, even closer than a sibling. And yet we recognize that there are friendships that we once shared but are now completely broken because of mistakes made by either party. When you really think about it, friendships are really hard. Because reading the Proverbs, these are some lofty expectations when it comes to friendship. Earnest counsel, wise truth-telling, loving in all seasons, constantly sharpening one another. These are hard to do all the time. It's all very overwhelming. The bar is set so high when it comes to friendship. And so what often happens to us is we feel a sense of longing. Like we don't have that ideal friend that we read about or hear about. We look around us and we don't see the friend who never fails us, who never leaves us, who loves in all seasons. So our hearts have this deep longing for this true friend that we need. But it's not only that we can't find this friend that we long for. But I think deep down, for many of us, we can also feel disheartened because we know that we ourselves cannot be the perfect friend to others. That we simply can't measure up to be that friend that somebody needs. And so we feel defeated. See, the bar is set so high. And so we give what we get when it comes to our friendships. As Tim Keller says, the reason why we don't have enough great friends is because we are not great friends. Friendship is so hard. We either feel a deep sense of longing or feel utterly defeated. And yet, it feels like we were made for friendship. Because the God that we see in the Bible the Trinity God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being in fellowship with himself, we see that he is a God in, friend, in friendship and about friendship. And he would show his heart to us by creating us for friendship, for friendship with him and friendship with one another. And how can we be sure of this? What's the answer to what makes friendships possible? On the same night before Jesus, God's son, was to be arrested, he was in an upstairs room with his disciples and he says to them in John chapter 15, love as I've loved you and there is no greater love than this than to give your life for your friends. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends. And just before Jesus was arrested, in the garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was praying, his friends, the disciples, would fall asleep, unable to keep watch, failing Jesus on one of Jesus' most agonizing nights possible. During Jesus' arrest, one of his so-called friends, Judas, came up to him and kissed him as a welcoming gesture of friendship, but was betraying Jesus as it was a kiss to mark him as the one to be arrested. After Jesus' arrest, the disciple Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, would deny knowing Jesus three times, just as Jesus had predicted, bailing on Jesus in one of his most times of need. During Jesus' trial with the Pharisees, Jesus' friends hid 
They fled and they watched from afar, keeping silent on the truth as lies and falsehoods were thrown at Jesus. In any of these moments, Jesus could have turned on his friends, could have done what any normal person would do when being denied, betrayed and bailed on by your friends. But Jesus doesn't. In fact, Jesus does something completely radical. See, when in Gethsemane, praying to his father, sweating drops of blood, crying out in agony to God for what he was about to accomplish, Jesus is given the choice to either lose his friends or to go to hell. And Jesus chooses the latter. Jesus would be hung on the cross because instead of inflicting wounds, he took them. Took all the painful wounds of a sinner that a sinner could throw at him, ultimately dying on the cross, yet showing that he is the ultimate friend. Because by Jesus giving his life on the cross, it meant keeping his friends from complete, utter ruin. By what Jesus did on the cross, it meant in that moment, Jesus gave up his friendship with God that we might have a friendship with him. Jesus took on the punishment that sinners deserved, that the same friends who betrayed him, the same friends who bailed on him, who failed him, could have an intimate relationship with him where any sinner, including you and I, can call Jesus our greatest friend with great confidence by having faith in him. See, Jesus is the ultimate friend that we are longing for and who gives us hope when we feel utterly defeated. Jesus is the one who makes friendship possible. Because when we know what Jesus has done, opening his arms as wide as the cross to let us in, it frees us to be the friends that he has called us to be. Because of what Jesus has done, I can go out without fear of being let down, knowing that my saviour will never let me down. Because of what Jesus has done, I can go out and, and be a good friend faithfully, knowing that he will continue to do a good work in me. Because of what Jesus has done, I can go out without a fear of rejection, knowing that the God of the universe loves me. And that's the wonderful thing about the gospel. Because to those who believe in the good news, Jesus is now our best friend. He's the relationship that matters the most. And so what that means is that those sitting around us right now, we have the same common affinity with each other in that. Jesus befriends anyone and everyone. And so that means it isn't strange when a small town country farm bloke is friends with the corporate city slicker. It isn't strange when the young adult lady is friends with the grandmother of five. It's not strange when the recently baptised convert is friends with the Christians since a kid. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that it breaks into the lives of any and every type of person. And so that should both encourage us and challenge us. Encourage us to make Jesus our greatest heart's desire 
when it comes to, fr- to a friend, but also challenge us to not close our arms to others, but open them. So after this service, I encourage you, go and give your friend a hug. You know, give him a word of encouragement. But not only that, but then go and meet somebody new because you might discover that you both share something more. Knowing full well, having confidence that Jesus has already given you everything your heart needs, his friendship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for friendships and we praise you for being a relational God who gifted us friendships out of your love for us. And we thank you for the wisdom that you've given us in your word. Help us be men and women who love our friends dearly as to want to see them grow more in you. And give us wisdom in the good moments, but especially give us wisdom in the bad when we need to be a friend who shows the gospel in the hardest of times. And we thank you mostly for Jesus, who is our ultimate friend, giving his life for others that we may have the greatest friendship with you. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.